Hey everyone, it's Teacher Mike here, and today we're talking about Animal Farm. Animal Farm by George Orwell. So we're going to start with one, uh, George Orwell. Let's talk about him first. Uh, if you if you have this edition of this book, and most most editions, uh, they have a brief um, a brief biography of George Orwell. I think it's very interesting to know his story before you read Animal Farm, because then you can get a little bit of a glimpse of what is inside his head before you actually read the book. The second thing is, so after I, I talked to you a little bit about George Orwell, about other books I've read, uh, and about some of the things that I think are very nice out of his, uh, let's say, philosophy, um, the second thing we're going to do is we're going to go through the story of, uh, of Animal Farm. I'm not going to go like a chapter by chapter. I'm going to go through the whole summary of the book, which I have separated here, um, and then I'm going to give you some ideas on what I think is uh, the idea behind this book. So let's start with George Orwell. Okay, guys, so let's start with, with his story, George Orwell's story. So listen, George Orwell is not his name, right? George Orwell was born in, uh, June, uh, on June 25th in, in 1903, and his name is Eric Arthur Blair. So why do you have the name George Orwell? Now, listen, uh, George Orwell was born into a very wealthy family. He was born in India. He wasn't born in England. He was born in India. But his father was, um, I think, was a, um, let's see, let's see. His father worked in the Opium Department of the India Civil Service. So his father worked for the British Indian government because at that time you had um, a British ruling in India. Um... Orwell, when he was really, really young, he already thought about becoming a writer, right? So when he was really young, he was four years old, and he decided to uh, write his first poem. So the kid was four years old, and that's when he wrote his first poem, four years old. At 11 years old, his first poem was published in a newspaper article. For the first time, he got a, a, a poem uh, published. Uh, so... Here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, so in a, in the appearing in a local newspaper for the first time when he was 11 years old. So it's pretty, when he was pretty young, he was already pretty intelligent. And there was already very clear intention of him to becoming a writer. Now, he went to uh, school. He went to boarding school, uh, which is something very common at the time. Uh, he got a scholarship, not a full scholarship, but a partial scholarship. And anyway, so he went to, to uh, boarding school. Um, he made his service uh, for, for, for India. And his, his service came to end. Look at this. So in 1922, he contracted dengue fever. So he got dengue. Ele pegou a gripe da dengue. Um, and this was the first illness in a series of units, so George Warrell, you're going to see, he had a very difficult life. Um, and then he returned to England in 1927 to recover. So that was 1927. And uh, he then, so he spent five years fighting for, um, I think you would say fighting for England, right? Um, so in 1927, Orwell moved to London. And now this is a very important uh, moment in Orwell's life when he moved to London. Because in London and in Paris, because he went from London to Paris a few times, he lived in poverty. So he didn't have any money. 
he was barely scraping by and he was living in hotels, very cheap hotels, and he didn't have any money at all. He was living on like six uh, pounds a day. And it was, uh, or in Paris, when he was in Paris, living on, on, on six francs a day. So at the, at the time, uh, it wasn't euro in Paris, the, the, um, uh, the money, right? It was called, the currency was called the francs. So he was living on, on six francs a day in Paris and he was living uh, in London very, very poorly. And that's the moment where he became very, let's say, very impressed by the living of the poor, by, by the lives of the poor. Uh, of the working class, because he wasn't a working class guy, he became a working class guy when he went to London and Paris, and that's when he became uh, he became really astonished by the way that some people live, right? And he even says this. He says that um, uh, his his life was miserable, but he understands that some people's lives were even worse than his. Now, in January 1933, that's when he publishes his first book. Down and Out in Paris and London, which is when he first decided to use his name, George Orwell, because he didn't want to embarrass his family. So here's the story. He's born rich. He goes to London. He lives very poorly. He writes all about his living, and he is embarrassed by his... Well, I don't think he is embarrassed, but he doesn't want to embarrass his family, and that's why... George Orwell is the name that he chooses to use. So then George Orwell becomes a thing. It's George Orwell, right? So um, after that, he, he, he writes a few books that he doesn't really want to write. He says that he writes them just because he needs to write them because he doesn't have any money. And then in, let's see, 1936, so that's a very important time. In 1936, George Orwell goes and fights... On, uh, in the Spanish Civil War. So Orwell fights the Spanish Civil War. He wants to fight there. And he, co he comes back because he was injured, because he was shot on the neck. So if you think about his life, it starts to get really, really hard and difficult. By the time he's, uh, he's around 36, 35 years old, his life is absolutely insane. So he already had dengue. He already uh, fought in India. Uh, he already uh, went to London, lived in poverty, and then he fights for um, for the Republicans in the Sp in the Spanish uh, Civil War, and he gets shot in the neck. So it's absolutely insane. His life is absolutely insane by 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 now, and still he hasn't written anything meaningful, like very very meaningful. He has written in 1937 Road to Vaughan Pier, which is a very famous book by now. But it's, he hasn't g gotten really famous yet. He's not really a, a very famous writer yet. So in 1938, after fighting the Spanish Civil War, he writes homage to Catalonia. And now here's, here's where we start to understand a little bit about Orwell's mindset before we even dive into Animal Farm. So there is this, this moment in homage to Catalonia, which he says... This. So let's let's read this. Uh, this is directly from the book. Early in life, I have noticed that no event is ever correctly reported in a newspaper. But in Spain, for the first time, I saw newspaper reports which which did not bear any relation to the facts, not even the relationship which is implied in an ordinary lie. Look at this. This is amazing. 
I saw great battles reported where there had been no fighting and complete silence where hundreds of men had been killed. I saw troops who had fought bravely denounced as cowards and traitors and others who had never seen a shot fired hailed as heroes of imaginary victories. And I saw newspapers in London retailing these lies and eager intellectuals building emotional superstructures over events that never happened. I saw, in fact, history being written not in terms of what happened, but of what ought to have happened according to various party lines. So now, this is in 1938, this is before Animal Farm. In 1938, Orwell starts to show his idea behind propaganda, his idea behind governments, his idea behind war. So he's saying in 1938 that after fighting the Spanish Civil War, that's when he completely loses any type of trust in the newspaper, in media. And he says, listen, I, I was there, I was fighting, I was in Spain, and I saw newspaper reports uh, things that had no relation to, uh, to to what actually happened. And some people that were uh, fighting bravely, they were denounced as cowards. And others who had, had never done anything in war, they were heroes of imaginary victories. I, I love this part in, in which he says, intellectuals were building emotional superstructures over events that never happened. So he was saying, listen, I fought the Spanish Civil War and after I fought it and I saw what happened when they were telling the stories that normal people didn't have access to the normal story of what, what actually happened. So there was no truth. There was the, the concept of truth. Like when you say this, these headphones are black because you can see that, them, that they are black. Now, this wasn't happening in Spanish Civil War. They were telling something that were completely different from what actually happened happen. So this is important to know when you start reading Orwell, uh, so that you can understand a little bit more behind 1984, which is another book, or Animal Farm, which is uh, these editions of this month um, of, this, of the book club. So you have to understand this types of thing, Henrique. I, I remember, uh, eu lembro desse trecho que você colocou no story, Henrique colocou aqui. Exactly. So this is a very important thing to understand about how he thinks. And then there's another book of Orwell, uh, which is called On Truth. It's another book that I've read this month as well. Um, and in this book, it's um, a various, it's a compilation of various writing from different books uh, in which he talks about truth, the, the word truth, verdade. And the thing, the, the big thing about Orwell, and that the big thing why he's a great writer is because he's fighting for the truth. And that's the big thing on him, and that's the big thing on Animal Farm. And I think that's the underlying message of all the books that he has. And basically, the idea is this. If someone can control the truth, what is truth, then we have a very dangerous scenario. And I'm not going to tell you guys how to think, because that's not my thing. But I'm just, I just want you to think about today's world if that doesn't happen. Think about it. Do you really know what's happening, or do you know what's happening because someone told you what's happening. And it's, this is George Orwell talking about in 1938. And now we know that, you know, in 1941, 1942, he was pretty damn uh, on, right on, on, right on it. He was right on it. So, uh, in 1943, uh, that's when, uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I want to see exactly when it was published. Here, 
17 August 1945, so right in the middle or towards the end of the Second World War, that's when Animal Farm is published. 1945. And it took a while for, 19, uh, for, um, for Animal Farm to be published because no editors in Britain wanted to publish the book. So people didn't want to publish the book because they understood that it was talking about the Russian Revolution and it was talking about Stalin. And it's very clear when you read the book what it's talking about. And then that's why people didn't want to publish the book. Because it was talking about Stalin and Trotsky and the Russian Revolution. Now, what you have to understand is this. Um, um, uh, George Orwell is a, is, a social, is, a, is a socialist. He likes the socialist ideas. That's something you have to understand before you read the book. Now, what he doesn't like is that those ideas, those socialist ideas... In Russia, they were taken to the authoritarianism extent. So they took the good ideas of socialism, of Karl Marx, maybe you can say that. I don't agree, I don't think they're good ideas, but you can argue that. And that was used to, uh, to go to a level of oppression and authoritarianism. And that's what Orwell is against. It doesn't mean that Orwell is against socialism or communism when you read the book you you, tr you maybe if you don't really know Orwell you may think that's the case uh, but if you really understand the book you understand that he's not talking about socialism uh, as uh, maybe Karl Marx would have uh, thought of it he was thinking about people that take the idea and then create an authoritarian society and this can be done with socialism, with fascism, with communism, with capitalism. It can be done with any type of society. Any type of society can be uh, authoritarian. Not only socialist, uh, not only socialist society, but also a capitalist society. So it's a very good argument that he makes. All right. So that's what you have to know before you actually jump into the book. Number one, Oro is very worried about truth and the idea of truth. Number two. Oro doesn't believe newspapers and the press. Number three, Oro doesn't really believe governments and propaganda. Right, The word propaganda is very big for Oro. And Oro is a democratic socialist. So he believes in democratic socialism, which nowadays we kind of think it's not really possible, but that's something that you have to find out for yourself. When you know all those things, that's when you can jump into the book. So let's jump into the book, right? So let's, I'm going to go and read the summary of the book to you, and we're going to go over what the book tells, uh, just an overview of the story. And we are going to talk about each character and what do they do in the story, right? So the book starts like this Old Major, he's an animal, right? He gives a speech to all the animals in the farm. So this farm, so this this is chapter 1, chapter 1. This farm is a farm that is owned by a capitalist. His name is Mr. Jones. So it's like it's like Mike, Mike has a farm and this farm has a lot of animals. My job as as Mike is to feed the animals and take their labor. So you do you guys understand this? So Mr. Jones is a capitalist. He makes money on top of the animals in the animal farm, and they are the workers. You guys understand it, right? So, um, Mr. Jones is the owner of the farm, and during the night, 
the uh, the animals receive a speech by another animal called Old Major. Now, uh, Old Major really inspires the animal, and he gives a, a, a speech in which he says, uh, basically, that there's a big vision uh, in which he, he describes a, a very big dream of a paradise where the animals control the farm, and they don't need Mr. Jones anymore. And there's no Mr. Jones. They, there's only the animals and the farm. So that's what uh, the animals believe in. And, and, and Old Major, this, this animal, he is a, 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 he is a, the, let's say, the father of this um, ideology. And then the name of this becomes Animalism. Animalism. You guys understand the idea? So socialism, animalism. So Old Major is kind of maybe Karl Marx or someone that thought of the idea of socialism. And then Old, um, uh, and then old Major in, in the story, he dies before anything happens. He's dead, right? He dies, I think, three days later. Um, and when he's dead, when he dies, we have three pigs. We have Snowball, we have Napoleon, and we have Squealer. So we have three pigs that take the idea of animalism and they say, listen, guys, this idea is great. We're going to make it work in the farm. So the three pigs, so the, their, their names are Snowball, Napoleon, and Squealer. Those three pigs, they become the leaders of the animals. And they say, listen, guys, we're going to take you and we're going to make it work. We're going to create animalism. And then there is a revolution. They fight Mr. Jones, and they defeat Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones is defeated. He doesn't own the farm anymore. The animals are ruling the farm. And then at first, Animal Farm prospers. Animal Farm uh, starts working really well. Uh, Snowball starts teaching the animals how to read, right? Napoleon, which is the other pig, uh, he takes uh, young dogs and puppies, and he teaches them Animalism. He teaches them what animalism is, what it is to, to love animals. Um, and then, as a, a little while later, Mr. Jones shows up and tries to take the farm again. And they, the animals win again. And at this moment, um, the, when the animals win again, they create this name of this battle. And they, they say this is the Battle of the Cow Shad. Right? And they even take the farmer's gun and they, they point it as a, as a, as a, as a trophy of their victory. They say, okay, listen, we won um, the battles twice and it's it's our farm now. We are the animals and we own the farm. Now, what happens is, so this is a very important moment. Everybody's happy. You know, people are loving the idea of having their own farm. And then we have the three, um, we have the three pigs owning the farm, right? And then what happens is they start, uh, not the three pigs, but Napoleon and Snowball, so two pigs, the leaders, they start fighting over the future of the farm. They start fighting and they start, uh, you know, they start having some disagreements of what's going to happen. And it's very clear that Snowball is supposed to be maybe Trotsky, maybe someone else, some dissident in the socialist uh, Russia. And we have um, Napoleon and he's obviously very clearly Stalin. So we have Napoleon, the pig, who is acting as Stalin in the book. And we have Snowball, who is kind of Trotsky, kind of. We're not so sure. That's probably the, what he wants to, to, 
to tell the reader. Now, at this moment, um, they start thinking about building a windmill, right? And this windmill is going to bring prosperity to the farm. But the two leaders, they disagree on the windmill. Now, at this moment, at this moment, um, uh, Snowball is dead. But we don't know that. So, um, well, the reader knows, but the animals don't know. So what happens is Snowball is, uh, is, is killed by the dogs that Napoleon controls, but he tells the public, he tells the animals that Snowball ran away and he fleed, right? We, uh, he tells them that he was a traitor and that he fleed. So now there, it's a very interesting moment in the story in which you have a big enemy. So you have two enemies. You have Mr. Jones and the capitalists, but they were kind of defeated. So now you have another enemy, which is the traitor, which is Snowball. Snowball is a traitor. And everything that is wrong with the, um, with the farm is, um, is, is Snowball's fault. And now what's really funny and really interesting, and that's, that's one of the most interesting things, um, is that Napoleon in the beginning didn't want to do the windmill. He didn't want to do it. He was against it. And Snowball was for it. And then as soon as Snowball is dead, and he's, he's passed away, and, and of course the animals don't know that, they only uh, think that he's fleed, that's when Napoleon starts saying, no, actually we should build the windmill. And I was always in favor of the windmill. It's just that I was trying to show you that Snowball was a traitor and yada, 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 and he, he tells this whole story. And Squealer is another pig, Squealer, he helps Napoleon uh, tell this story. Now, who is Squealer? You could, you could interpret it in different ways, but in my opinion, Squealer is the propaganda in the media. So Squealer is the government, so he's one of the leaders, but he's also the propaganda. So Squealer is always telling the other animals what and how to think. And when some animals start thinking a little bit differently, Squealer actually goes and says, no, you don't understand things really well. Let me explain it to you. And that's, that's how you should understand it. So a little bit further in the book, you're going to start seeing those things. Uh, the animalism, they have a few rules. They have, they have a number of rules. And this is something that you have to read the book to, to see. But um, it's very clear that they have rules that all animals have to follow. One example of the rules is that no animals, no animal should um, sleep um, in beds. So no animal should sleep in beds. Okay, That's one of the rules of the animalism. Now, there is a moment in the book, a little bit further ahead, I'm skipping a little bit, but just so you understand it, there's a moment where the pigs, they don't live in the farm anymore. They live in the house. And they sleep in beds. And now some animals say, wait, 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 wait a minute. I remember reading on the rules that the animals shouldn't sleep in beds. But then Squiller says, listen, listen, no, 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 you guys don't understand the rule. You have to understand the animals, they, it's okay if they sleep in beds, but they cannot use sheets. So they can sleep in the beds, but they cannot use the bed sheets. And that's when you start understanding the idea of post-truth, pós-verdade. There is no truth. So maybe a month ago, if you looked at the rules, you would see no animal shall sleep in a bed, on a bed. 
But then later, because the pigs were sleeping in beds, you see no animal shall sleep in a bed wearing bed sheets. I think it's something like this. So then there's no truth anymore. Because two months ago, three months ago, there was this rule. But now this rule is a little bit different. And now it's okay. And this happens over and over. So they change slowly the rules. And you see, and, and it, it, this is amazing, you're going to see that the rules, they change very slowly in the beginning. So sometimes you don't really care. It's like, okay, man, like, all right, let them sleep in beds. Who cares? That's what you think in the beginning. Like, oh, those are just rules about beds. Who really cares? But then slowly the rules start changing and get a little bit more aggressive. So there's a moment where they change the rules to say, um, uh, so the, one of the rules is no animals should fight or attack each other. But there's a moment where they change the rule so that they make it uh, in a way in which it's possible to attack other animals. So they start changing the rules to fit the pig's narrative and the pig's will, right? So let's, so, so let's continue. Let's go, let's go back. All right, so they create the windmill um, and then um, they have this, um, this saying, right, uh, in which Napoleon is always right. And they have a horse, a workhorse. Uh, and this workhorse, his name is Boxer. He's always working. He's working his ass off. He works like crazy for the pigs. And he, the, the horses don't know how to read really well. So it, it makes you think, why is the horse like this? It's because he doesn't know how to read really well. So he only knows how to work really well. And in his head, he's always repeating to himself, Napoleon is always right. Napoleon is always right. And this is the workhorse that is working for them nonstop. So uh, if you think about it, Horse, the horse is like the general population that doesn't really understand what's happening and just blindly follows the leader. So you, you could make the argument that the leader is Stalin, the leader is Trump, the leader is Bolsonaro, the leader is Juma, the leader is Lula, whatever. You can, you can read this book in many ways you want. But the idea is that when you follow blindly someone, you are bound to be wrong. Now, and it keeps going. Um, and, and all right, and then year passes, and, the, and, and here's the, the, the big, big lesson. The pigs become more and more like human beings, right? More and more like human beings. And the pigs start looking just like Mr. Jones. And then if, if you go towards the end of the book, right, right in the end, you are going to see that the seven principles of animalism, I want to find the principles. Let me see if I can find them and I can read them to you here. So on page 23, on page 23, you can read the seven principles of animalism. I'm going to read them to you. Uh, principle number one, whatever go, goes upon two legs is an enemy. So if you walk on two legs, you are an enemy. Uh, number two, whatever goes upon on four legs or has wings is a friend. So if you walk on four legs or you have wings, you are a friend. Number three, no animal shall wear clothes. So you cannot wear clothes. You should not wear clothes. You should be naked all the time. Number four, no animal shall sleep in a bed. That's the one that I talked to you about, the bad one. Number five, no animals shall drink alcohol. Number six, no animal shall kill any other animal. And number seven, look at this. This is beautiful. All animals are equal. So then you start and you, you, you keep, you know, you start reading the story. The pigs, they get 
crazier and crazier. The pigs get more and more like humans. And then the rules start changing. I want to find... I want to find the, the, the rules, uh, the, the changed rules. Let's see here if I can, if I can find them. I should have, I, I should have bookmarked it. Um, let's see if I can find them. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find them. But right at the end of the book, when you read every, every rule being changed, when you read every rule being changed, all the rules have changed by now. And then right by the end of the book, the last rule, which was all animals are equal, it changes to all animals are weak, are equal. But some animals are more equal than others. So that's the last rule, right? That's the last rule. So slowly, slowly, the rules change. And they start very small. Maybe it's just sleeping in a bed. And that's not a big deal. But it's slowly they change up until the point where they say, listen, we are all equal, but the pigs, they are a little bit more equal. So uh, the, you are a little bit more equal. So some animals are more equal than others. So that means that we have leadership and we have authoritarians that are going to rule the whole farm. And then by the end of the book, the pigs are inside the house and they are drinking beer or whiskey or whatever, and they are um, ruling all the other animals while the animals are in poverty. And that's Animal Farm by George Orwell. That's why I think it's an amazing book. One, because you can read this in many ways. You could say that this is a book about capitalism, authoritarianism and capitalism. And that's, that's definitely one way to read it. I don't think it's the correct way, but that's one way to read it. Um, of course... George Orwell's idea, this was a clear critic of authoritarian socialism. There's no way to escape this. That's the exact theory. Uh, that's the exact book. But you could argue that socialism is not that bad. It's just that people that take the socialist ideas are really bad. And that's a good argument too. And my point here is not to argue anything. It's just that that's a really well-written book. It proves um, Orwell's point very clearly on the fact that propaganda is really bad. So when you have one person that is part of the government telling you what to think all the time, that's really bad. The other thing is we need objective truth. So you have to be able to look at something that happened and say, listen, this is what happened. And these are the facts. And now you can make up your mind. What we don't have nowadays is this. When you look at whatever, CNN or Fox News, when you look at Jornal, I don't know the ones in Brazil anymore, Globo or SBT or Record, or when you look at Estadão uh, um, uh, or Folha de São Paulo, it doesn't matter which one you're looking at. They are all telling you a story through their own eyes. And you are not seeing the facts. So you have to separate the facts, man. And that's what's really difficult. And I think that's what Orwell, in 1938, 1938, this is 70, is it 80, 83 years ago, 82 years ago, he was telling you about this, and up until today, we look at the media and we still believe it, like, it, like if they were very honest people, they aren't very honest people, and I'm not talking about one specific journalist, maybe, maybe you have a friend or a cousin or someone in your family that is a journalist, it's not his fault. 
It's just a bigger scheme of things. And I don't know why, man. There's a lot of things to argue here. Uh, why do they lie? I don't know. But they lie. So the idea is we need objective truth. We Propaganda is really bad. Propaganda is the worst thing we can ever have. And um, when the rules change slowly, I think this is another good message in the book, which I think a lot of people don't really realize, but I think it's a good message. When you change a little bit of the rules, it opens space to change a lot of them. So if you have, let's say, listen, listen to this. <laughs> if you have a way or a system in which society works, and it works really well, it works fairly well. But then people come in and they start changing a little bit, tweaking. Like, oh, let's make this small change. It's not going to be a big problem. And then you're like, yeah, it's not a big problem. And then they change a little bit more. Oh, that's not a big problem. And then at, at the end, in, in five or ten years, that society is completely different. So this is what uh, George Orwell was talking to you about as well. A lot of people maybe missed this point. But it's the slowly and gradual change into complete despair, into complete delusion. Which can happen. A lot of people think that when you look at Brazil or when you look at the United States, you think, ah, those things are never going to happen. They can happen. Just look at the United States. Things can get really crazy. So that's why I love Animal Farm, man. I really like this book. And I think now the, the floor is open to questions. You guys can ask any questions that you have about the book or about whatever. Um, and let's, let's, let's make the conversation go. I can change to Portuguese if you want. Um, but I think it was overall really good. And so someone said here, you make me remember, so I reminded you of a documentary called The Propaganda Game. I haven't seen it, but by the name of it, that's probably it. <laughs> um, next read, Atlas Shrugged. Bro, I have it right here. Let me see. I have the five, have the, the three volumes. But this is such a big book. That I don't think is a is a good read, but I, I have it, man. I love it. Um, that's a good read, too. Um, it's an, a different idea, but it's a good read, of course. So, I think I'm going to close the podcast for now. So, thank you so much if you are watching the live, but thank you so much if you're listening to the podcast as well. I hope you enjoyed it. I was a little bit on the fly. How, how uh, I think it was 34 minutes of podcast, but I, I feel like it was pretty good. So, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and I'll see you soon.